Welcome along everyone to another of Shared Ireland's podcast. Today we'll be having a conversation with a lady who has been to the forefront of promoting the Irish language to everyone, but especially within our own unionist community. It gives me great pleasure to welcome along Linda Irwin. Dated Linda. Linda, um, I'd like to start off, if you don't mind, by asking you a little bit about your early years growing up, going to school and your family life, etc., if you don't mind. Okay. Well, I, I was born um, on the Newton Arch Road. I'm actually the third generation of my family. We was born in a street called Thistle Street at the bottom of the road. Um, later on, we moved up to Beaver Estate and um, I went to school up there and then I came back down to Newton Arch Road um, as a teenager um, and you know, married and, and raised my own children here. My father was a um, sheet metal worker and my mother, my mother originally worked in the mill and then became a shop assistant in Marks and Spencers. My father left us when I was about seven years old. Okay. And um, we went and lived on the Cromlin Road for a while with my, my mother's family. Uh, can um, I ask how many brothers and sisters you have? I've only one, I've one brother, one older brother. And um, I, I had a, a stepbrother and a stepsister. My stepbrother died. Um, my father married again and then married again, since he doesn't believe in marriage, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> I don't know many times he ever got married. Um, so um, there was, I suppose, a, a bit of instability or, you know, in, in my, my early years. I was very close to my grandparents, my father's people, um, because of the, the marriage breakup. And um, they, as I say, they lived in Thistle Street. Um, we would have spent all the summer holidays with them. We would have spent weekends with them. Um, you know, I think really for me they became a very, um, it was a very stable part of my life in a, in a time when my life wasn't very stable. Uh-huh. So I was always extremely close to them. Yeah, very good. Linda, um, you're probably best known um, nowadays um, for your Irish language promotion of it. Uh, recently, you received a grade A in A level. Is that correct? It is. <laughs> um, could you perhaps tell us a little bit about your journey from not speaking a word of Irish to gaining an interest in the language and um, now receiving your top marks? Okay. Well, I started learning Irish. Hussy Megfol and Gaelica, Ochlainohin. I started learning Irish eight years ago, and I hadn't a word. Nero Fuckle or the. And it's only been eight years ago. It's only been eight years. Well, I mean. I, I'm not a particularly fast learner. I, I, I'm sort of a struggler. Um, I think that will reassure the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, well, I would because I, you know, and I, I certainly didn't have a great start. I couldn't cope with Kay Hussa's mission, you know, who you are, yeah, I am. I used to get it all the wrong way around. And I remember um, the words JMR tattoo, which any language, any Irish language learner will, will be. Um, you know, be familiar with, which means how are you? Mm-hmm. And I remember having that written down in Irish and English and phonetically and sitting with it <laughs> on my knee and thinking, how on earth would you just be able to say that, you know, without having the bit of paper in front of you? I think you've just described me there. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't a great start, but there was just something about the language that fascinated me, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to learn it. And one of the things I always tell people is, that in Irish, you know, you don't say I speak Irish, you know, you don't say Lauren Gaelic, you say to Gaelic Ogham, you say I have Irish. Uh-huh. And I remember when that was explained to me at the very beginning, 
just something resonated with me and I remember thinking I want to be able to have this, I want to be able to say that this is mine as well and I decided I would learn and my friend and I started going to classes and she actually you know picked it up quite well and I did, I, I found it very hard, I think the first six months it was like sort of a cloud of confusion. And, and when you say you found it hard and for the first six months what was a, the motivating factor that, that said that you said to yourself, you know, oh, I'm going to stick at this? Yeah, I think it just interested me. So I wanted to, you know, I certainly didn't think I was ever going to end up doing A level and all the rest of it. It was yeah. just interesting. But it was also, and this wasn't to do with the language, it was just where I was in my life at the time. Um, I was working as an English teacher. It was the job was quite stressful. I was very, very busy. My husband was the leader of the Progressive Unionist Party. So life was very pressurised at the time. And I think, you know, looking back, I was definitely suffering <coughs> from the effects of stress, so I didn't realise it. So this was like a wee oasis. You know, I used to meet my friend and me and her used to walk to the class and, you know, we were made very welcome. The crack was good, the company was good. And you know, when you learn a language, because when you learn anything, you have to go in and for that two-hour period, you have to totally focus on yeah. that and forget about everything else. Yes. And then the nice thing about learning the language is, you know, you take those wee words home with you and you practice them at home. So, you know, everything about it for me was just a, a very positive time in what was a very busy, stressful time. You mentioned there that your husband was leader of the Progressive Unions Party, the PUP. And then you also said um, you go home and you practice your language. Was that a strange um, thing, or um, you know, it, for <laughs> for somebody, uh, I suppose, looking from the outside in, it seems that the Irish language and maybe the PUP don't fit in the same category. Well, that's not how it seemed to me. It wasn't. It wasn't an issue at all. Um, in fact, my husband Brian would have had a, a few words of Irish before you know I ever learned any Irish. And, um, you know, in the house, I would have, to practice my Irish, I'd have been saying to him, you know, where I like cup and tea, do you want a cup of tea? And he had the answer, near why, or but why, and if he didn't say but why, he didn't get a cup, of tea. Get a cup <laughs> of tea. That's a good motivational yeah. factor, isn't And it? sometimes, you know, if somebody came to the door, I would have said, Taurus, Jack, you know, come in. And yeah. they said, don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, it's not for you, it's for me. It's practice for me, yes. so never you worry yourself, Very you good. know. So, um, I, I kind of from the start, you know, was using little words of it. But Brian is always he was always very encouraging and Excellent. a bit of interest and has with John. We call him Bum Rang Brian because the way he does classes we've never really managed to get him out of the bum rang. Oh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well at least he's trying. Yeah. Um, can you tell us um, more about the Taurus project in East Belfast, Linda? Its goals, the background of those attending and ultimately I suppose what you have achieved and maybe what you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Well, we started in 2012. I mean, it actually had been a wee class. We, we started a wee class in 2011 and then approached um, Forest McGillica for funding, which they agreed to. So in 2012, September 2012, Taurus was born and I left my job and took up the post of Irish Language Development Officer. At the beginning, we had two classes. Uh, one was a small class, and the other one just filled with total beginners. I think we ended up with thirty odd people, all all local, you know. And it has just grown and grown ever since, both in a very unexpected way. I'm going to try for interrupting you. When, and when you say all local, you mean as in local as in East Belfast? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, ninety nine percent of them were from the unionist community. And I think it was just 
maybe a novelty factor. People who like myself felt that they, you know, wanted to learn it but had never had the opportunity. You know, people like myself who didn't even know you could go to a class, didn't know classes existed because we didn't have that local knowledge to know there were classes on the Falls Road or classes wherever. Yeah. So again it's just you know it's filled up with people who were, were interested in learning it. Um, now we have about 15 classes a week. This year we've signed up over 270 people about 65 to 70% of them would be from the unionist community and then the rest either from the nationalist community or from you know other, other countries yeah. and cultures. Um, because I suppose well, we have to be honest about it, it is perceived through the media predominantly that the Irish language probably is associated more with the nationalist community than the unionist community. And that's for me very sad and you know, one of the things I didn't want to do when I came into the language and got involved was I didn't want to sectarianise it further yes. by kind of doing the we're taking it back, you know, yeah, the we're the wee Protestant. See, yeah, you know, I wanted us to take our place within the Irish language yes. community and I think we've done that very successfully and we're very much accepted. We've been helped, encouraged and befriended by various groups and individuals within um, the Irish language sector. Um, I think what's good is people don't feel compromised. You know, people come here to Taurus, um, again, the majority of them are, are Protestants. I, I find what's interesting, and I didn't, you know, I didn't visualise this because I, what I was trying to do, I suppose, at first was reach out into my own community. Mm-hmm. But the Catholic people, and this isn't true for everybody, but the majority of them, the Catholic people who come here, tend to be what I term soft nationalists yeah. and they, they they seem to not like republicanism and they they want to be involved with the Irish language but they don't want to sign up to I suppose a, a hard line yeah. republican image now you know I'm not putting any I don't have a, a political agenda here I provide classes and they're open to anybody who wants to come from any background any religious viewpoint any political viewpoint exactly language. you know but it's it's just one of the things that I've noted and um, you know it's, it's just interesting um, you know we have people who come from the security forces from you know ex-paramilitary groups tend to be loyalist paramilitary groups, you know, but they're just a very, very varied group of people, middle class, working class, educated, uneducated, young, old, you know, just all sorts and types. Sometimes when I look around, you know, a particular classroom, I think, where on earth would these people yeah. get together in any yeah. other social true, setting? Isn't it? You know? Yeah, because no one owns a language. Absolutely. You know, it's called the Irish language. Yeah. You know, and that's what we all are, so... Yeah, it belongs to whoever speaks it. Yeah, very good. You know? a good and, way it's, and, it's, and it's broader than that, too, because I know English people and Scottish people and... French people, and I've met Spanish people, American people, who are also Irish speakers and some of them fluent speakers, you know. Oh, very so. good, yes. At the turn <laughs> of the 20th century, um, there is evidence to suggest that Irish and Ulster Scots was widely spoken within the Unionist community. Why do you think the subsequent decline happened? And um, through the Taurus Project, do you see interest growing again and can you see you know this endeavor that you have undertaken can you see it growing and lasting well i i think there's a number of reasons why i mean both ulster scots and irish field um you know declined 
and a lot of that was the, the national school system which said standard English with spoken word and made people most feel ashamed of their their own um, dialect mm-hmm. you know spoken home language and whatever also if we think about you know in the 19th century English was modernity, English was education, English was the way ahead. So people didn't want their, their children to have, you know, be speaking Ulster, Scots or Irish. They wanted what they saw as being best for them. Mm-hmm. They wanted their children to succeed. So, and I think even that, that still sometimes in um, Gaeltoch areas and, you know, places where there's a minority language, that the dominant language is seen as the thing that's important to have mm-hmm. and people have no value of their own local language. Mm-hmm. In Northern Ireland, I'm glad to see that has changed and there's an interest now in Ulster Scots. There's a, there's a new value of Ulster Scots and the Irish language and people are, are wanting to engage with it. So that, you know, that's only good. Mm-hmm. I think then, of course, for Irish, the politics hasn't been helpful either. And... Um, even come back, you know, to sort of the 1916 and Padraig Pearce and whatnot, where Irish language and Irish culture was seen as, as a way of sort of creating difference and saying, you know, we, we need to have our, our independence, you know, we're different from England, we're separate. And then in the more recent troubles, where I sort of call it the, the Chucky Arla syndrome, um, where republicanism, seeing the language as part of the you know, part of the Irishness that the game was different from Britain. Do you think at times the Irish language has been used as a political football? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it, you know. But for me, it doesn't quite work. Um, you know, there's people who sort of attack me and say, you know, that I shouldn't be speaking Irish, teaching Irish, whatever, learning Irish because of, you know, somebody, and we're, we're not quite sure who they are, 40 years ago, who said that. And I paraphrase it, sort of every word spoken in Irish is another bullet and whatever. And, you know, and I, I can't, you know, I, I have to acknowledge that that's, that's what, was, what happened. And, you know, that's how the Republican movement seen the Irish language or regard the Irish language. But for me, it doesn't work neatly because I see it as a language that went over to Scotland to the Isle of Man. So for me, it's a linguistic link between other parts of these islands. It's also part of the family of Celtic languages, and Celtic languages were spoken everywhere in these islands, England, everywhere. And even today, you know, like the, the word Owen, which is the, the Gaelic word for river, well, we can see that in Avon in England, um, Dor, in Gidor, which is the, the old word for water, so Gidor is water um, inlet. We see that in Dover, you know, it's the same word. So for me, it links us and it doesn't say, you know, kind of ourselves alone. It says we have linguistic, we have familial ties to each other. So that, that to me is an important thing. But again, you know, I'm not trying to push a political message. What I'm saying is because, you know, the Republican movement, who have every right to anybody, can any political group, any you know, individual who can use a language, speak a language and, um, you know, they have as much right to do that as I have. But because they do, that shouldn't stop me speaking Irish, promoting Irish. Um, you know, my husband always says, well, you know, how do you, how do you 
show up a crooked stick well you put a straight, a straight stick beside it that that seems to me a, you know a good way to do it so you know i'm embracing the language i'm encouraging other people to embrace the language how other people deal with the language well that's up to them very good arlene foster once said linda if you feed a crocodile it'll keep coming back for more has this statement set the tone for the current impasse around the Irish Language Act, do you feel? Yeah, well I think, and I'm sure Arlene Foster would, um, I would imagine she'd be in agreement with me that it, you know, it wasn't a good thing to say, it hasn't been helpful, and unfortunately our, our politicians, sometimes maybe lessons in diplomacy would be good. Um, I, I think what has happened now with the, the whole thing around an Irish language act, it has gone outside the Irish language community and it has become, I suppose, a symbol for the nationalist community as a, I suppose, a symbol of equality and people who have no interest in Irish, people who don't speak Irish are demanding an Irish language act because it represents something bigger, it represents, um, I suppose, saying, you know, we, we have a right to identify ourselves as Irish, that was agreed to in the Good Friday Agreement. We have a right, uh, we, or we should have the same rights as people in other parts of the UK where language legislation already exists. And, you know, this, this is not a, and it's not a major thing to ask, but I suppose it's a totem of, of how divided our communities are, where it's seen as, you know, if somebody from the licensed community asks for something, Somebody in the unions community sees that as something threatening, and and I suppose we have it in some ways, you know, with orange culture as well, where you know um, parades and things feel that they're they're being victimised because they're, they're not allowed to work in certain places, and you know, so we have this. I suppose it's just a lack of tolerance, and that's one of the issues in Northern Ireland. It's recognising that somebody. It's valid for somebody to have a different political aspiration or a different viewpoint and allowing them to get on with it. You don't have to sign up to it, you don't have to agree to it, but it doesn't take anything away from you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we can ever reach that in Northern Ireland, but we're certainly not anywhere near it yet. Mm-hmm. Linda, given the location of Taurus in the traditional unionist heartland, and of course your own background, do you feel do you get any opposition or negative feeling towards the project and the work that you've done? Probably a lot less than I thought there would be. Um, I think when we first started there maybe were some people who were, let's say, shocked. And I, I know here in the Skenos building there were people who walked out of the building when they realised that there was Irish classes on and said they'd never be back in here again. Honestly? Mm-hmm, yeah. I also, when I have they subsequently come back, David? Well, I, I don't know. I would imagine they probably have, but I don't know. Um, I can't say that for certain. But because this building that we're currently in today is kind of like a community. It's a, it's run by East Belfast Mission, who are a Methodist church, but it's a it's, I suppose that there's a it's a sort of like a community centre kind and of. And I thing. see there's a cafe here. There there's apartments. Yeah. There's yeah. there's different things. There's a second hand shop. There's you know when they they do all sorts of good work as a homeless centre. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of events that go on in here. Mm-hmm. But we also um, and that this was difficult for me when I first started the job here. I was in an office with six other people who worked for East Belfast Mission, you know, with nothing to do with the Irish language obviously. Yeah. 
and I had to sit while my colleagues took phone calls from, and these would have been middle class people from outside the area, who were patrons of East Belfast Mission, who would have, um, you know, given charitable donations because East Belfast Mission is a charity. And I had to listen while these people rang up and said, you know, we just want you to know we're not going to be paying any more money into um, the mission while they're supporting the Irish language. And even though my colleagues would have explained that our project was fully funded and didn't actually cost the mission any money, yeah. that wasn't accepted, you know. So that was difficult. Um, but I have to say that the mission were very loyal to me and stood by me. And um, the project has just, oh my goodness, it's seen massive success over the past lot of years. And we bring a lot of money in. We do bus tours, historical oh, tours. Yeah. We do a lot of work where we raise our own funds. And that money comes back into the mission and, and helps with some of the, the work that the mission does in the area to help you know people who are in need, I suppose. So, so really, by, by you promoting your passion, which is Irish language here in this particular part of East Belfast, you're saying that you're actually bringing money back into the community to help those that need it within the community. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's basically how I want that's, that's brilliant, honestly it is. What about yourself? Have you received any negative feedback from within your own community, you know, on a personal level? Yeah. Well, I get some, you know, nonsense on social media. Um, the, I think we all get plenty yeah, of options yeah. of it. <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the interesting things about that is it tends to be people who don't have the courage to expose their own faces, their own names, you know. So These faceless accounts. Exactly, mm -hmm. you know, who'll spew out lies and nonsense, you know, and, you know, I'll go on and I'll, I'll challenge it. And I always say to them, you know, we're totally open here, we've nothing to hide. Um, you know, we're quite open about where we're funded. I'm quite open about what I earn, the job that I do. Anybody who wants to come in here, we say there's nothing, there's nothing hidden here. I think what has been more difficult for me is, and there have been small in number, but a small number of people who I knew personally, who, you know, I would have regarded as friends, some of them and acquaintances, others, who now don't speak to me because of my interest in the Irish language, and. Um, that that I think has been more has been more difficult. Um, it's the fact that somebody can have, you know, or change their 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 viewpoint of you because you have an interest in something. That's bound to be tough on a personal level. Like. It is, you know, it definitely is, and um, you know, I've been in situations again. People don't tend to come over and debate it with you or discuss it with you or even challenge you with it. But it's when you walk into your room and oh. people don't speak to you yeah. and um, you know, or turn away. The unspoken word. Exactly. You know, that's that's the but you know, you know. So I've had that and um, you know, even within East Belfast mission, um, I I had difficulty with a Again, a small number of people who are no longer here, um, who just made or tried to make life difficult, and again, it was spreading of lies and rumor and things. And the only way I can deal with those things is not by being confrontational, but by being very straight with people, and you know, confronting them and saying, you know, look, if you have an issue, or you know, if I hear that a lie has been told, then, you know, I'll confront the person and say, you know, did you say such and such? Well, you know, and, that, and that's all I did, can do. Did it ever make you reconsider the project? 
really. Um, there have been times, and I, you know, I have to be honest, that maybe I've been under so much pressure and stress, and you know, and sometimes I have felt, you know, we're very small staff, and a recognition that I carry the can, I suppose, and you know, when when we're under attack or there's a lot of criticism, that I'm the person who, I suppose, because I'm I'm the one shoved out in front, basically. Mm -hmm. So I'm the one in the, the firing line, yeah. and I, I have felt that at times. And um, and you know, before I married my husband, my name was Collins, Linda Collins. And I, I have to admit, there's been a few times that I've just wanted to go back and be Linda Collins. I can imagine anonymity, and <laughs> you know, just so nobody knows who you are, but and you can just get on with your life. You yeah. know, you definitely strike me as the type of person that the more someone would try to maybe discourage you that you would roll your sleeves up and redouble your efforts? Well, I think unfortunately that is part of my personality. <laughs> my husband would be very aware of that and, yeah. and maybe that's one of the things that motivates me. And and I suppose too, you know, as I say, that there, there have been times when I, you know, I have been tired and I, I, I have sort of felt a bit despondent about it all. But I've always bounced back and... Um, the, there are great challenges which do motivate me and I, just the love of the language, the enjoyment and also I think I've got some really fantastic people around me. I've loads of volunteers who are as passionate about the language as myself who very strongly feel, you know, that because of the tradition they come from, because they're Protestants, you know, they're not going to be told that they can't learn Irish, can't speak Irish, can't be involved with the Irish language. So it's people like that who spur me on. I've also seen in our own project people who, like myself, come in with no language at all and are now going to go off to university. So I see the language strengthening, not just you know getting larger in number, but also um, ability level really strong. And these volunteers that are helping you and encouraging you, Linda, these are people that you wouldn't have known in your personal life prior to opening up this centre? No, I don't think any of them I knew before. So it was the love of the language that have bonded you together yeah, here? Now. Yeah, very much. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that has made Taurus so successful is, you know, we're much more than just, you know, a group of people attending classes. We've, we've created a community here, mm -hmm. and one of the things that people always say when they come into Taurus is they feel that, you know, mm -hmm. they feel that strength of community, they feel that welcome. And, you know, from the word go, whenever we were very small up until now, just the friendships, the relationships that have been created between people in a way that's not contrived, it's just people sitting down together, they're learning together, they're laughing together, yeah. they're supporting each other, they're helping each other. and. You know, again, when we started, we didn't want to, to kind of create a sort of a wee Protestant enclave of the Irish language. So from the word go, we've, we've told people, you know, there are classes over in West Belfast, there's events we would have physically taken people yeah. at first because that was difficult for them. Now we just have to let them know about the events and they'll go. They go over to um, Skullsai River at Rafton, they'll go to Inna Devach, they'll go to Cutterland, they'll go to Common Clue and Arn, you know, they'll go to all these different classes. They'll meet people there, they'll bring them back over here and, and there's that just nice sort of cross-city traffic. And one of the things we're doing at the minute, we've just got um, some money to redevelop our rooms here and expand a bit. 
and we always had like a very small library of, of books that we would have lent our borrowers but now we've expanded that massively we've got a you know the proper lending library software so we're going to be the first Irish language lending library in Honestly. Northern Ireland yeah very where good. we can let people borrow books well so and I think good. you know so you know we're, we're our own learners need those books but we're aware there's other centres and we're quite happy to um, allow people to come over and join so you're, our library. So you're leading the way in your library? Well, we hope so. <laughs> you just told me before we hit the record button here. Um, you're currently, what, is it the largest? Yeah, well, that's what I've been told, that we have now um, signed up more people than any other centre in Belfast. So we have over 270 people registered this year. And we have about 15, 15 or 16 classes a week of all, all levels and abilities. It really is remarkable. And as well as the, you know, the normal online post beginners, all the rest of it up the yard right, we have a singing group. We've got a group of calls, so oh. we do singing classes. And um, our group of call were actually down in RTE. Um, on a, it was a, the Methodist EBM, East Belfast Mission, and the Dublin Mission. Um, it's a, like a joint service and we were singing at that. Are you doing a bit of singing yourself? Uh, well, I, I'm in the group of call, but I'm not I'm not much of a singer, <laughs> as long as other people can join me out. We also have a, a Rang Chowley, a family class, and that's parents and children who come every week and learn Irish. And again, these would be children who have no Irish at all. We also, um, in East Belfast Mission, have their own private day nursery. And they um, contacted me last year and asked me, would we teach Irish to the three to five year olds? And they sent out letters to the parents, the parents would you know, be all local, and only three parents declined. So every week about 12, probably about 12 or more children are brought over, and um, they, they learn to do half an hour of songs and rhymes as Gaelica. Excellent to hear that, it really is. You mentioned you have a small staff here, does anyone get paid? Yes, myself, I work full time, um, my colleague Gordon McCoy, he's the education officer, gets paid, and then we have a um, person who does 20 hours admin. So um, my post is funded by Forest and Gaelica, and they pay most of our running costs. Um, Gordon's post and the, the admin person is funded by Community Relations Council. Then we work, we don't charge for classes, but we work on a donation basis, so we bring in money that way. Mm -hmm. And also then the bus tours that we set up, we. Um, through Gordon. We have two bus tours that run every month and we're trying to run them more um, more frequently. They sell out and we also have a range of merchandise that we created ourselves and invested in and um, our first range of mugs there just sold out immediately. I just um, seen that online um, yeah, I think last yeah. night. So yeah. we do maps and some of them we sell in, in local shops and things. And um, so we have maps, mugs, t-shirts and other things that we And when you say you created two bus tours, uh, twice a month you said, yeah. but you hope to expand that shortly. Yeah. And, and is that a sightseeing of Belfast or is it just certain areas or what format does that Belfast. take? Belfast, well there's two different ones. So we have the Gaelic bus tour we spell fast. And it's more your idea of a traditional bus tour where you stay mostly on the bus. Mm -hmm. And it takes you through, it's all around East Belfast, but it takes you through all different periods of Gaelic history. 
and any links with the Irish language. So you know you'll you'll have the kind of early stuff, but you'll also have the Gaelic League because the Belfast branch of the Gaelic League, for instance, was formed on the Bearsbridge Road here in East Belfast. Oh, okay. So it'll take you through all all people and places that are associated with the Irish language, and there's some wonderful stories. In, and people are amazed because they, they just have never been told these things. Mm -hmm. The other one, the Common Meal Bus Tour, is slightly different because it's less traditional because it goes to about five or six stops but you get off the bus okay. and then the story is sort of unfolded to you so it's almost like a moving performance yes. and it tells the story of Con Neil and Con's very interesting because obviously in East Belfast you know we have Consbrook Avenue and Con's Water and the shopping centre so lots of people are aware of that name Con they don't really know who Con O'Neill was uh -huh. and you know he was the last Gaelic Lord of this area. He straddled the period between Gaelic Lordship and Plantation and um, didn't fare very well. His son actually became a very successful Protestant in England. So it's interesting to hear his story. It's, it's a very sad story I have to say and you go around the different sites associated with Con O'Neill's life. Both bus tours we, we ask for feedback and people fill in little feedback forms and the thing that comes up again and again is local people who say you know I, these are places I passed all my life. It's remarkable I, isn't it? No idea. Yeah. So the they, feedback is 100 I suppose positive. it gives locals as well as people from outside the jurisdiction and gives them more buy-in to their own community. Absolutely well it gives them I think a whole new insight into what is around them and you know, sadly, some people do East Belfast in a negative way, and we want to we want to promote East Belfast, and we want to kind of break into the tourist market because it's you know it's good for East Belfast, also good for us because it's a way of us sustaining ourselves, and we're very aware that people don't kind of get beyond Titanic, mm -hmm. you know, they're not wandering over onto Newtonard Road. So yeah, C.S. Lewis Square has done fantastic work up the road here with the East Side Visitor Centre. And um, you know, people are, are starting to kind of come in more for that and the Van Morrison stuff. So we're just, it's another, it's another added thing. Have they put a statue of you up around here shortly? Well, not, not so sure about that, but maybe, <laughs> maybe Con O'Neill, that would be good. <laughs> Tell me this, just while we're talking about your uh, bus tours, if people want to pre book, how can they do that? If you go on to, it's Music Glue East Belfast, if you just type in Music Glue East Belfast, then you'll see our listings and the, the listings get updated every month. So at the minute, um, I think there's a couple of seats left for this month on the Gaelic East Belfast one and there's some seats left for the Con O'Neill one. Later on in the month, we'll put up the June dates. So if they just keep an eye on Music Glue East Belfast Mission, sorry, Music Glue East Belfast Mission, or else they can, they can contact us at East Belfast Mission. Well, hopefully after this podcast is released, you'll be sold out immediately. Hope, hope so. <laughs> Tell me this, Linda. Is there any evidence to suggest um, the Welsh Language Act has you know, helped the economy? And if anything, what can we learn from it here? Yeah. Well, I think I'm not, I'm not just sure with the economy, but I'm sure it has. But I'm, I am very aware that the Welsh language, um, a bit like our own, um, at one time was very seen as very controversial. Uh -huh. There was protests and threatened bombings and all sorts of stuff, you know, going on. And it was through legislation that that all calmed down and it stopped being used as a political football. The Welsh language now is regarded by over ninety percent of um, respondents, both speakers and non-speakers, as a social good. 
and it, it sort of unifies Wales because there's a lot of newcomers in Wales and a lot of them would, would um, be Welsh speakers. So it's, it's kind of interesting that there's no controversy around Welsh language in the way that there is with the Irish language. And I would be very hopeful that if and when legislation comes, that the same thing would happen here and the whole Irish language debate would settle down and people who speak the language would be able to have their, their rights protected, the language would be protected and promoted, and that those who don't speak it you know, won't feel threatened by it and you know, will just get on with it. Um, one of the things that research shows is that increased visibility of a language increases tolerance for it. So, you know. As we speak, there is talks going on in Stormont today, and one of the, I suppose, key points to that is the Irish Language Act. If um, you and I were sitting around that table today, um, what would you say to all parties? I think what's important is, and I, you know, I think both parties have backed themselves in the corners. Unfortunately, you know, Sinn Féin, sadly, using the language as a red line, and the DUP, um, sort of feeding people that this is, you know, some terrible threat to unionism. Neither, neither of these positions have been helpful. Um, I, I think very much if I was in the DUP's boat, and they're going to have to sell it to their community. Um, especially after making it seem such a threat is to promote as I do linguistic links to other parts of these islands for me the language really works for unionism and I also feel that rather than unionism taking the position of no and you know creating all these excuses oh you know if there's a language act this could happen or that you know they'll want this but then they might want that well, we'd never legislate for anything if we, if we took that sort of an attitude. So they need to look at what experts um, recommend should be in language minority language legislation. They need to look at what language groups are asking for. And then they need to sit down and say what they're actually prepared to agree to. And if there are things that they're concerned about, things that they, you know, like the 10% quota, which was rejected very quickly because they felt that that would discriminate against um, people within the unionist community. You know, these are all the things that can be ironed out so as, you know, people don't feel that it's discriminatory in any way. And of course, we have to remember that we have the Equality Commission, so we can't bring in discriminatory um, legislation anyway. I also strongly feel um, that if they were to give positive discrimination, and we did it with the police, and if we give positive discrimination to people within the unionist community to help them to learn Irish, to help them to qualify in Irish, to help them to get the jobs that will be in the sector, that you know there's jobs already there mm -hmm. because this is a growing sector, then that will go some way to say, well, you know, or to stop this idea of people saying, oh, it's, you know, it's jobs for the boys or it's jobs for them. And yeah. it's because it's not jobs for them, it's, it's jobs for us and it's jobs and for whoever's them. qualified. Exactly, whoever's qualified. And, you know, if we had some big IT company who'd come in and say, you know, over the next 10 years, we're, we're gonna, there's going to be jobs for, you know, people with IT qualifications, you know, we wouldn't be saying, oh, that's discriminated against me because I don't have a qualification in IT. Yeah, that's you right. know, kind of a thing. So what I would say is, you know, we have to um, create more opportunities within the unionist community for people to learn Irish, qualify in Irish, 
and apply for the jobs that will come mm-hmm. if and when there is an Irish language Act. I think there's also evidence to suggest, but you'll know obviously a lot more about this than I will, Linda, that if not alone Irish language is taught at a young age, but any second language, um, that increases the child's ability then to go on and explore other languages. Absolutely, and I mean one of the things I've been involved in Cambridge University is running it's the Myths um, project, looking at the benefits of bilingualism and multilingualism. And you know it's known throughout the world that children who have more than one language, as you say, it's much easier for them to learn other languages. But there's also other abilities that are improved. Their literacy in their own first language is improved, and also mathematical problem solving. The brain's more flexible. They seem to um, be able to come at things. And I, I know as a teacher, one of the, the biggest problems is children kind of lacking in confidence. So they're finding that yes. a lot of these bilingual children seem to be more confident in yeah. their learning. And actually now mainstream schools are looking at some lessons from the Irish medium sector um, to see, you know, how can we bring that into our sector. So, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I, I live in a, an area where there is very low educational attainment and I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I don't think bilingual education is a, um, a cure-all. But I think it's interesting in that it's certainly solving some issues in education. What's interesting for me too is I've had a number of parents who have came to me and said, I would like my child to benefit from you know, an Irish medium education and have two languages, but you know, I'm not going to get on the bus and go over onto the Falls Road or whatever. I'd like to see that in East Belfast. Yeah. So we already have a number of um, babies who have their name down and we want to start a preschool in Irish which hopefully will someday become an Irish medium one school. Excellent, that really is excellent and, and even that wee story there about you already have names down for babies, I think for me that in on, I don't mean to put titles on areas but coming from where your project here is situated that shows me the mindset of people is changing and needs to change on all sides as well. Well I'll, I'll give you an example of the mindset. Um, a local library in the area um, contacted me a month or so ago because they wanted me to, to speak at the, the learning week and I offered to do my little session of, of songs and rhymes in Irish. Now they have a regular Friday morning rhythm and rhyme session with the parents and children and parents have to register for it. So they offered it a couple of weeks ago totally in Irish. They contacted me the week before and said, look, would you be able to do two sessions back to back because there's just too many people wanting to do it. And isn't that what a shared Ireland should all be about? Absolutely. Just finally, uh, to finish off, Linda, has anyone anything to fear from a language? I think just the opposite. Um, I think what we have to fear is the misinformation, the ignorance of our own history, of our own shared history and our own heritage. I think we have to fear the division and sectarianism that polarises us but works well for, for political parties and is destroying Northern Ireland. Those are the things that we have to fear. You know, if we don't start working together, acknowledging 
that there are people here at different viewpoints, but how do we how do we promote Northern Ireland in a positive way? Um, you know, we got a wonderful opportunity with the Good Friday Agreement, and unfortunately, we we haven't made the best out of it. We we you know we've we've changed it into something quite nasty. Um, the oh, very much. And I also feel, you know, somebody from the unionist community, I feel, well, you know, how do you promote the union in a positive way? Well, you don't do it by alienating people. You don't do it by the kind of never, never, never politics that, you know, we had 50 years ago and it didn't work. You know, you do it by embracing people. You do it by acknowledging that a union is what it is. It's a union of people from different countries and different cultures. And you embrace those and you make them part of who you are. Well, the Irish language is part of that. You know, we have our own dialect here, Ulster Gaelic. You know, this part of the world is British. And until there's a referendum that says it's not, it will remain British. But acknowledge that this part of Britain isn't English. This part of Britain has its own identity. And the, the Irish language is part of that. Very good. Well, that's it, Linda. But um, I still have the most difficult question that I've asked you all day ahead of you now. And that is, if you could invite three people to your dinner party, and um, these people can be alive or they can be dead, who would they be, but more importantly, why? I think I'd like to invite Arlene Foster. I think she'd be one of them because I really would like to, to sit down with her. And maybe it would be three members of the, the DUP. But I really would like to sit down and talk to them. So maybe Arlene Foster and um, a couple of other people from the, the DUP. So as we, we could say, look, you know, what, what is the issue here? I also have a, a presentation that I do called The Hidden History of the Protestants in the Irish Language, which is a real eye-opener for people when they see the links to the Orange Order, to the Presbyterian Church, to the Church of Ireland Church, and so on. So maybe I'd have that running in the background. <laughs> and, and can I just ask, because Arlene is an interesting one, because obviously, you know, she's current. Would it be you wanting to educate Arlene, or would you like to hear what Arlene had to say to you? I think both. both. You know, I'd like to hear why Arlene feels so threatened by the language. And, you know, I'd like to be able to discuss and say, you know, take what fears... You know, and I, I hear this from people within my own community and, you know, and it's the, the sort of same rhetoric, oh, if you give them this, they'll want that. And, you know, and to say, well, you know, how do we deal with this? And to acknowledge that both, you know, they have backed themselves into a corner. We want Stormout up and running again. So how on earth do we do that? And how can they, I suppose, save face and give in the Irish Language Act because that's unfortunately where it's came to. That's not a position that's not a good position to be. It's not a position where I want the DUP to, to be. But how do we how do we do that and how do we move on from here? Because you know, saying no and the, the two parties been on unable to compromise, it's not getting anybody anywhere. Okay, so Ireland's your first, who's your second? Oh my goodness. I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. You really are putting me on the spot. <laughs> I didn't warn you this is the most yeah. this is a difficult I think, part. I think maybe somebody who'd be a good negotiator might be good to, mm. to kind of have in there who um yes. you know who, who could um sort of help to open up things and um in a good way. 
I'm kind of pushy for a third, seeing that you didn't give me the name of your second even. You know, and this is this is maybe um, because I never met her, and there's a lot of talk about her at the minute. And my husband did meet her because she interviewed my husband, and I am going to do Blair and the Keys walk coming oh, up. So, very good. if I could, I think I'd I'd like Blair and the Key because I'd like to meet her. I think she sounds like the sort of a person that I would have got on well with. We might have had a lot in common, and. Um, you know, I think she would have a lot of words of wisdom. So, yeah, I think Lear McKee. And I think that's just a perfect way to end that particular segment. Okay, very quickly, one word answers if you don't mind. Linda, do you prefer water or alcohol? Water. I don't drink at all. I'm teetotal. Very good. Best book? Best book. Um, my the family Bible. <laughs> I'll have to put it that way. My family are very left-wing. And um, I was told it when I was young, and I did read it, and didn't read it till I got older, but it was The Ragged Treasured Philanthropist. Oh, okay. So, Best film? Best film? Um, this will tell me a lot about you. <laughs> that's a kind of, that's, that's a really difficult one. Best film? Best film? Oh. I suppose it's going to be really boring, but it's a, a, a really amazing film. Is the Shawshank Redemption? It's Morgan a, Freeman. Oh, it's just amazing! It's well, it's just a film you could watch again and again and again. And I think the more you watch it, the more you, you learn. Yeah, you do. Right. You know, it has those highs and lows. It does and, indeed. You know, so very good. Potatoes, rice, or pasta? Um, None. Probably potatoes. Potatoes. Probably potatoes. Okay. Favorite color? Blue. Blue. Definitely blue. As you can see, I've got my blue on. <laughs> oh yes, indeed you have. And finally, have you got a favourite beauty spot or location in Ireland? And if you do, why? And what's the significance of it? I love the coastal walk between Helens Bay and Bangor there. Okay. And you know, sometimes I would walk there with friends, especially you know, it's a group of friends here from Taurus. Uh-huh. And. Many's a summer night I've been walking back or walking there and you could be just anywhere in the world. It's so beautiful and yet it's it's so local and it's it's so it's so handy. And I think the other thing, and this is more of a, a personal thing, I suffered very a long time with mental illness and I suffered very badly with agoraphobia for many years. Oh. So I, I really went nowhere and walked nowhere. So even been able to do that. I don't forget you know, how important that is and um, and just uh, the value of that, you know. Well, you certainly don't come across as if that you suffer from anything, Linda. Uh, and on that note, um, I think our listeners will be delighted with um, the conversation we had today. I think you've been very open, very honest. and. Um, I would personally like to thank you, and on behalf of Shared Ireland's listeners, thank you very much. So, Slangafoil, I'll go to Art.